So she says that these coronaviruses happen to change. It's like, again, duh, we knew this. She said, that's why our vaccines need to be updated to match the changed virus. I want to clarify really quickly that when people first got the vaccines, they never told them that they would have to keep getting it because this virus is going to keep mutating. And that's what happens with coronaviruses. Do you remember how that wasn't part of it? People legitimately thought that they were going to get it one time and that would be it forever. And the data and statistics will validate what I'm saying when I get into that at the end of this. And one of the questions is, what percentage of people will get it this time around? You know, that's a really good question. Based on the numbers I'm going to talk about in a second, I am going to guesstimate probably around 30%. That would be my guess. Maybe, actually, maybe lower. It depends. It depends on, I guess, the level of fear that they push in the next coming months. But based on the information I have here that I'm going to go over in a second, it's probably going to be lower than what we see. So she basically goes on to say that any kind of protection that you have from a prior variation of this is decreasing over time, which according to her, natural immunity too. Now, this is not something we typically see. We don't see natural immunity waning. So I think she's confusing. She's using the wrong words here because she's saying that your protection has decreased over time. The truth is your protection exists for the version of it that you naturally might have had or experienced. But as it becomes a new version, of course, you don't have that particular strain's antibody response because you haven't had it yet. But that does not mean that your initial antibody response started to decrease or wane over time. And it's important to distinguish the difference here because vaccine immunity does wane over time. It wanes over time for every single vaccine that's out there. There is not a single vaccine that is in production on the CDC schedule, any of them, that will give you lifetime protection. Nothing. Measles vaccine? Nope. But you get measles, you'll have lifetime protection because natural immunity doesn't wane. Not in that way. And for some things, not at all. What happens is, is something mutates, then your natural immunity was strong for this, but now you've got this one coming in your system. Doesn't mean your immunity waned, it just means you have a different thing to become immune to now. I also want to say that whatever the hell's been released the last three years is nothing normal. There's nothing normal about what we have seen as far as illnesses and sicknesses circulating through the world in the last three years. I've been sick lots of times before, and every time I've been sick since then, it's a little bit different. There's something different about it which to me means whatever they were creating in that lab somewhere to be used as a possible bioweapon or whatever that got leaked or either purposely or accidentally or whatever you feel about that, this was engineered in a way that it is not just a normal 
change up of things from the past. You cannot say there's anything normal about this, the way that it operates, how it infects a person. And if you've, if you're 40 years old, older than that, like me, you know how your body has been sick over time, over the decades. You know what it feels like to be sick. And this version of sickness, when you, when you have been exposed to something these last couple of years, is not normal. It's not like anything else. So she's saying that's why the CDC is recommending an updated COVID vaccine, which is better matched to the currently circulating virus. Everyone's six months and older. This is now the official recommendation from the CDC that everybody six months and older must or should have this. Same dose as an adult. But did you see what she said in there? She said, this vaccine is better matched to the currently circulating virus. But if you listen to my last two episodes on the podcast, it's not. The new booster is targeting a strain, a variant that is soon to be outdated, a variant that is less than 5% of current strains now. So it is actually not targeting what's currently circulating. There are two new strains since then, in fact, one starting with an E and one starting with an F. Many people would say this is a flat out lie, along with the fact that she said that they're definitely safe and they definitely work. Now, she breaks down that the majority of deaths, and I find this interesting because I remember in 2020, we were talking about this. I looked at data from South Korea. The data from South Korea, which was the next data to come from China, we couldn't really trust China's data because they weren't really giving all of it from their public health departments. South Korea's data explicitly showed that death from this was always in the elderly, immunocompromised, those who are at risk, not the bulk of the population, certainly not children and not like healthy young um, citizens in South Korea. I remember posting about this at that time saying, listen, like people don't freak out. One, it looks like children will be absolutely spared with this because the sister virus, SARS-CoV-1, there was some history there. We had some information and data on that because that was from 2003. And there were no children that died from that, even though it had a much higher fatality rate. So the data from South Korea was very clear that this was not targeting the average citizen. It, it wasn't random. It wasn't going to hit somebody who was robust and strong. But they discarded that for many months. In fact, years even now, have they, they were writing articles saying things like, COVID doesn't just kill elderly. Uh, COVID kills young and healthy people too. They really pushed that narrative was that nobody was safe from this, as in don't get complacent. But look at what the head of the CDC is writing in this article right here. COVID continues to pose a threat, especially to older Americans. Using data from January to July of this year, 2023, 88% of deaths, about 90%, that's a vast majority, that is literally almost all deaths, come from people over 65 years and older, and my bet is that they are even older than that, 
come from those with underlying health conditions, obviously, and those with weakened immune systems. This is exactly what we said at the beginning of this. So if you're in charge of healthcare and you see that statistic, wouldn't we want to keep people from being somebody with an underlying health condition? Wouldn't we want to strengthen the immune system, those who have weakened ones? But they didn't go that route. Instead, they forced everybody to be at alert, saying that this is everybody's problem and everybody has a risk of dying from this. They would highlight stories of like, you know, 20-year-old da, 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 dies. Like they didn't take the time to say, here's who at risk. And by the way, this category of who's at risk, elderly, immunocompromised, and those with underlying conditions, those people are at risk of more serious complications and even death from everything, from everything related to the immune system. COVID is not special. All of the unnamed respiratory viruses, things related to the flu, anything that deals with immune system assault is going to take more of a toll, and this is so common sense, on elderly, those with underlying conditions, and those who are immunocompromised. This is kind of like par for the course. It's not new. It's always been this way. This is why when it first happened, all of these very educated medical professionals from all over the world were stepping in to say, look, it looks like the data is saying that those are at risk, you know, are the same people that are always at risk. It's not like Ebola that comes in and doesn't care who you are and it's an equal opportunity offender. There are very clear markers here for who is at risk. Which means the rest of the population, which is the vast majority, the grand majority here, should be able to handle it fine and should be able to handle it fine with no assistance, meaning without needing a vaccine. They should be handling it fine, you know, taking measures to kind of improve their own immune system and and resting and, and doing that kind of stuff. But here she states it. Almost 90% of death totals from 2023 are all in the categories that we knew that they would be. But look at who she's recommending gets this booster shot. Every American six months and older. Does that make sense? Like, does it make sense to have 92, 93% of people get something for maybe six or seven percent that could possibly be at risk? Does it actually make sense to make the majority take that step into the risk, right? Because there is a risk associated with every dose. And not just this year, but every year. And not just this vaccine. She wants you to get this one, the flu one, and the RSV at the same time, as I've been saying on the other podcast. They've been mentioning it there. She mentions it here. Why do you get a vaccine if you're not at risk from it, from the illness? We already know the vaccine doesn't stop another person from getting it. So I'm not doing it for that small percentage that are at risk. Why encourage people 
to put additional toxicity in their system when they should manage the illness without intervention or medical assistance. When you just told me that 70% of Americans have underlying conditions, what do you think happens when you have an underlying condition and you add additional toxicity? You're weakening the system even more. That just doesn't sound like a recipe for health, for improving health of the people in your nation. And, and what I'm saying here obviously is not just about the COVID vaccine because it's true for many of the vaccines that are on the childhood schedule, same concept. I'm really surprised more people don't sort of put this together that are not necessarily in the informed consent medical freedom camp. If you tell me that the people dying from this are in this group over here, then what does me getting a vaccine do for anybody? Like realistically, how does me getting the vaccine help that small group of people when it doesn't stop transmission? It doesn't. How does me getting the vaccine help my body by introducing guaranteed immune assault and toxicity for a hypothetical non-risk from actual exposure? Why would we be giving this to six-month-olds? Why would you put so much toxicity with an experimental vaccine that does not have FDA approval and did not have any actual safety testing? Why would we consciously and purposely step in that, go in that path of action when the majority of people don't stand to be at risk from it anyway? And again, it's not just once. They want you to do this every single year. I don't know how that improves the health of the, you know, strongest portion of your population if what would be really better for them is learning ways in which they can sort of biohack and improve their system to have stronger immune response and less toxic burden in their bodies. She continues, our understanding of these vaccines means that like the flu vaccine, manufacturers can now focus on developing the best match for the circulating strains. So she's saying, which I, I just said this in, a, um, in another podcast too, that now we're getting the references to this is like the flu. This is probably like the flu. Yet we said all that in, back in 2020 and 2021, and we were vilified for it. And now you've got the head of the CDC saying it. This is pretty much like the flu and and vaccine manufacturers are going to have to keep coming up with a new one every year. How convenient. Another moneymaker. Annual vaccines for hundreds of millions of people in just the United States. Even if you get your dose for free, just keep in mind, they're still making money on it. They're still making money on that probably back way through your taxes and That's how they have these health initiatives that they can, you know, um, pay for them for people so that they don't keep them from people. So one way or another, we're paying for it. It's not free. Nothing like this is ever for free. People are making quite a bit of money on this. And if they do that every year, well, that's the best kind of business you can have if you're in the pharmaceutical business. 
But do you remember how much they talked about like, this is not the flu? So I found this article, um, this was in 2020. This is just one of hundreds I, re I remember reading that, that made this claim. Look at what this says. It says, misinformation is dangerous. In a time of fake news and rapid information sharing through social media, we're learning more than ever that words have power. Comparing coronavirus to the flu is irresponsible and dangerous because it creates distrust in the professionals who are advising us to take this seriously. Isn't that so funny? It's irresponsible and dangerous to compare this to the flu. And yet, the Yale medical expert that was a doctor, infectious disease specialist, just did it in the article I covered two podcasts ago. The head of the CDC just did it. It's happening all the time now because that's what it always was. But they really, really put out quite a bit of angry retort uh, as it came to comparing these two things when they've sort of always been paralleled. And now what we're seeing? Paralleled treatment, which is annual, as it says in the comments, annual return customers. She also says, on the basis of patterns we have seen so far, the CDC believes the U.S. will most likely continue to experience covid in seasonal upticks. However, an uptick, that's another word I've heard dozens of times just in the last week. They, these people, nobody's writing original material. It's like, have you ever seen that video clip that showed like the same script that was talking about something and it was across like 30 different news channels? It was the exact same script. This material is being written for them by the people, the interests that stand to gain by whatever the thing is that they want you to feel about it, whatever action they want you to take. It's being written by the people that have invested money into a product or again, an action step, whatever the thing is that people, are sta people stand to gain from whatever you choose to do. And every, every time you see these news articles or this written material, it is written in a way that is, you know, aligned with their interests. Um, it's like everybody's writing the same copy, you know, like make sure you use safe and effective, uptick, vaccines, the most effective tool, uh, they're safe and that they work, you know, like these are all like the same things that you see that are kind of like the bullet points that you have to include in an article. It's like a checklist. Make sure it's got these things. So they're seeing the upticks, right? But she says there's good news. And this is the second time she's used the phrase good news. Both of these times she's mentioned good news, it's the vaccines are here. That's the good news. The bad news is that COVID's going to be with us forever. But the good news is you can become a re repeat customer, as was said. So she said this is the first fall and winter season in which vaccines will be available now for all three viruses responsible for hospitalizations and deaths. She says coronavirus, RSV, and flu. This is no longer just get one thing every year. Now you've got to get three of them. The RSV vaccine for the RSV virus just got approved this summer, by the way. So here's, here's where I get irritated. She says, the more people who get the shots, the bigger difference it can make 
in how many Americans are sick. Again, what, is, what kind of claim is this? The more Americans get it, the bigger difference it can make on how many Americans are sick. How? Me getting it doesn't make you not get it. Actually, me getting it doesn't make me not get it either. So how is this correlated? How is this directly related to how many people get sick? They're, they're using these vague statements again to say like, oh, if you get a vaccine, then that means you're not going to get sick or you're not going to get somebody else sick. But that's not true. There is no scientific evidence that says that. In fact, all of the scientific evidence so far has said the contrary. There are so many things in here. And yes, this whole concept of like, oh no, somebody gets sick. It's like, okay, well, you know what? It happens. If it's not this, it's something else. It's the nature of living with so many people in such a toxic environment. Again, where our water, our air, our food, we are slowly being poisoned. And our body can only handle so much before it gets overwhelmed. But the goal is not to keep taking more toxins. The goal is to improve our ability to be able to methylate those toxins and to get rid of them and our body to do what it's designed to do, which is to go find these things in our body and expel them. That's the idea. That should be the idea. But the more people to get the shots, the bigger difference it makes. Here we got the, it's your American duty to get it so that you can help everybody else. It's crap. It's crap and it's emotional manipulation. We know for a fact the vaccines don't stop the spread or transmission. We know for a fact. So how can any variation in the number of people who get them have anything to do with the number of people who get sick? There is no correlation there. This is like mumbo jumbo. They keep just throwing this shit around here. And yeah, these are total play on words. And um, it's so deceptive. And it really bothers me because this is not like it's a radio show host saying this stuff. This is the head of our medical organization supposedly here for the benefit of our health. And these are so many lies in here. I mean, there are so many lies in this one article. She finishes it by saying, you know, I'm not going to recommend anything for you that I wouldn't also be willing to take. My husband, me, my parents, and my two daughters, poor kids, um, are going to all be rolling up our sleeves. There's another phrase that I've heard dozens of times in the last couple of weeks. Americans will be rolling up their sleeves. It's time to roll up your sleeve. It's like these phrases, these little trend phrases. She says, we'll all be rolling up our sleeves to get these vaccines along with a flu shot. As in, listen, I'm not going to make you do it without me doing it. But do we... Do we really have proof that she's going to actually get these things and make her nine and 11 year olds get them and getting the flu shot every year and her parents are getting it? And I mean, sure, maybe it's possible. There are families where this happens, but I'm pretty sure those families also get sick. They get sick because why? It doesn't stop the spread or transmission. And you telling me that you're going to get yours doesn't make me want to get mine anymore, especially when I just reviewed an article that actually talks about how it's not targeting the right strain. There's no FDA approval. And the safety profile data for this was on one study for tw with 20 mice with no control group and no human, there were no human trials. So if I saw that article, I'm certainly not feeling like I want to get it, let alone whether or not whatever you're doing. Here is what 
she cites as the information. So what I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about this, I was going to talk about the number of Americans who've gotten vaccinated for COVID. She says it's 270 million Americans. I'm like, that number is extremely high to me. When you consider that we're looking at about 330 million Americans total, like that's, you know, 82%, like, uh, I don't know, something in me says, I'm not sure about that. But there is a vaccine tracker, just like there used to be the death tracker. And the vaccine tracker says that there have been 270 million Americans that have had at least one dose, okay? 81.4% of the population. Again, I don't buy it. There's no way for us to know that these numbers are accurate anyway. My guess is they tend to overinflate everything to work to their advantage, so this would be no different. Here's what I saw, here's what I thought was interesting. Two things, and then I'll wrap it up. One, when you click on the link about how they calculate this, this information, it says, when possible, the CDC links a person's first, second, and booster doses together. But linking is sometimes not possible. This can lead to overestimates of first doses. And then it says, and underestimates of the subsequent doses. But the first part, overestimates of first doses. Okay, so maybe it's not 270 million. Maybe it's 200 million. Maybe it's even less than that. Well, that's kind of significant because sitting there and saying, hey, listen, 82% of the population's on board with this. What's wrong with the other 18% of you out there? Like, get on it. That is, you know, that is kind of pushing people in a certain direction. The reality is uh, these numbers are not that high. But here was the second point that I found really interesting. It has at least one dose. It has completed the primary series, which was much lower than the 270 million. And it has updated booster dose. So who got the booster in 2022? Uh, for some of them, it, the booster would have already been in 2021. 56 million. So you're telling me that you've got 270 million people over here saying, yes, I'm definitely all about this. I want to get this to protect myself. But only 56 million were interested in doing that again. That means only 20, less than 20% were willing to have the booster compared to what got the first round. This tells me a few things. Of course, these are all hypotheses. It tells me that one, some people were pushed or forced to get the first series that could have been because of their job, because their family, whatever. Some people got the first series because they genuinely were afraid and they really thought this was going to be, if they just get this one thing, they're going to be covered forever. And um, they were genuinely afraid. So it tells me some people maybe were, were forced or pressured to get into it. Some people really genuinely bought into it and felt fearful about it and thought that they would just do this one time. Or some people believed all this at the beginning and then started to realize maybe this isn't what they were told. Okay. That's the first group of people that maybe all jumped into it. If your product's working, like I mentioned before, you'd be all about it again. You don't drop down 79%. You don't go down to less than 20% people wanting to do this again. So this makes me question many things. It makes me question how accurate that first number is, 270 million. I'm, I'm guessing not which means way less people were on board with this than they want you to think are on board with this. Because if you knew there were a lot of people questioning, you might also gain in, in that um, confusion and possible non-compliance. But when you look at these numbers at 81%, you're going like, wow. In fact, what this says, percent of the population is 17%. 
How do you go from 82 to 17? Like if I'm the maker of that product, I'm like, where's my sales team here? You guys sold it really well in the first round. What's happening here? Because these numbers are terrible. So this makes me question what's going to happen this time around. Now, it's updated, right? So they're going to kind of convince some people maybe that, well, this one's different, so it's going to give you more protection. So there's that. And that could get a certain percentage of the population that it wouldn't have usually. But that's not going to continue necessarily working next year and then a year after and the year after. I mean, I would imagine that people are going to get sick of this. They're going to get sick of having to do this every single year, especially if they feel badly when they're doing it, if they have adverse reactions to it, if they know people around them that have had adverse reactions. And like I mentioned in my last episode, right now it's looking like the data is saying myocarditis is a one in 3,000 risk for males. That's not rare at all. That's a, a pretty high statistic. It's similar to seizures in some of the childhood vaccines. Whenever they say this stuff is like rare, it's like you look at the numbers and it's not as rare as you think. Same thing here. It's not, this thing's not entirely safe. So you think, you, I mean, every, every year you're doing it, you're increasing your odds of being one of those statistics, right? So you would assume it would work, but as we're seeing, it's not even matching the right strain this year. It could get some people though, because they're saying this is updated. And, and people that read the article from the head of the CDC thinking like, hey, she says to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah, that could get some people. But if only 17% got the booster in the first place, and now you know jobs are not requiring it for your employment, there's a good chance that that number will stay low. Remember too, the safety profile done on this new vaccine is based on one trial with 20 mice. They had no control group and no human group in there, no, no human safety control group, and no human group receiving the vaccine. So if you see this kind of big drop from first series to the booster, people are losing faith. They're losing faith in the need for this and the, um, the effectiveness of it. Well, now it's a bunch of hype. Like, here comes a new one, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens at this point. But I, I'm always curious when I start to see opinion articles by people in the medical field that are including their advice on what they think you should do. I tend to see that when they're not getting enough public support. When people aren't naturally feeling like, yes, I'm definitely going to sign up for this. And I still have that episode to do about that survey where they basically interviewed people about all about COVID, whether they got the first series, whether they get a booster again, kind of like they're doing these surveys to find out like, what do people think about this? Let's get the temperature in the room here. And it looks like they have some doubts because they're making sure that they're inundating the media right now with a lot of information. Um, I also wanted to say really quickly, who is this, this girl who's now the head of the CDC? Her name is Dr. Mandy Cohen. And I want to mention one thing I found really interesting, which could have an effect on what this fall winter season looks for the rest of us. In 2020, it says, Cohen stressed the need for North Carolinians, where she worked before, to wear masks, to social distance, to wash their hands, to, to prevent the spread. This is in 2020. She also went on to really promote the use of vaccines. If you go to her Twitter, Dr. Mandy Cohen, there haven't been any updates since 2021, which um, is interesting. But if you go to her Twitter, her cover profile picture is her in a mask with four other people in a mask 
like fist bumping because you don't want to touch hands. And that's her representation of who she is. And her top post here is about how where she worked in North Carolina was the number one area for the U.S. for vaccinations for adults over 65. So she is clear in her promotion of masks, social distancing. She was even talking about school closures early in 2020, which she eventually retracted and went back on, as well as vaccine use. Somebody who is that one-sided on mitigation efforts as it relates to COVID-19, you can pretty much guess what every message from the CDC is going to be from this point on through the fall and winter season. It's not going to be for minimal intervention from the government. It is most likely going to be very strong intervention, strong words of intervention, and potentially more of these mitigation efforts. So somebody with a history like this does not look super promising for having a reasonable, rational approach considering everything we've all gone through in the last three years. So anyway, again, the name of this article is As a Doctor, a Mother, and the Head of the CDC, I recommend that you get the latest COVID booster. New York Times opinion piece with Dr. Mandy Cohen, who is now the head of the CDC. I have a couple more on this. I want to get into some tweets from Alex Berenson, who was somebody that I got information from early in this in 2020 before he lost his account because he's like me. He likes to go search these medical professionals from all over the country that were showing the full story here, not just one side of it. So I want to go through some of his information because he's continued to follow this as well. And I want to cover that survey. So anyway, hope you uh, were able to get something from this. And thanks for signing on, everybody. I'll talk to you all soon.